Well, for about nine months now, we um, here at Bethesda Church have been on a journey, uh, a journey that is getting us ready for the new shepherd that God will call our way. Our hope and our desire is that we would be um, the church that Jesus wants us to be, that Jesus has created us to be right here, right now. And when that new shepherd comes, he would have a flock that is ready to move forward and to uh, accomplish what God has given to us to accomplish. And over the last uh, three weeks and in the fourth week, including today, we have looked at some of the things that are indicators of a healthy church. And our transition team and our leadership team have been looking at these various things, and we have talked about them. And in your bulletin, you will find a little insert that explains uh, those eight items about having passionate spirituality and inspiring worship, the need to have loving relationships and, and small groups that meet together to meet um, all of the needs, the spiritual, emotional, uh, physical needs of individuals. Uh, that It's important for us as a church to have a gift-based ministry. That means we're using the gifts and the talents and the skills that God has given us for the sake of the church and that we also look outside the church and, and uh, look outside the walls of the church and see how we can minister to the people around us by meeting their needs as we bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And today, I want to look at the area of discipleship, of specifically uh, doing that which in equips leaders and also uh, helps us form uh, effective structures that will allow us to uh, be able to do what God has called us to do and to do it well. Um, as we move forward, before we look at Scripture, when I was studying this past week, I thought about what it is to uh, make sure that people... Um, are becoming the leaders that God has called them to be and the importance of having effective structures. And a number of years ago, I was an associate pastor in a little town of uh, Cocado, Minnesota um, at, at um, Elam Mission Church. And one of the things we did there is that we took a group of high school students, packed them in a van, drove to Chicago, and went to a church called the Rock of Our Salvation, the Rock of Our Salvation, and it was an evangelical free church, and it was set uh, right in one of the most uh, uh, downcast, uh, plighted parts of Chicago to minister to the people uh, around them. God blessed them in a great way in that they were able to purchase for just a, a little bit of money uh, what used to be a convent. It took up about a whole city block. It had a two-story gymnasium. It had all sorts of classes. It had the kitchen and the dining area and a, a chapel for them to um, have their services in. Well, every year they wanted to put on a, uh, a supper and an opportunity to share the gospel with the people of the community. And specifically, they wanted to get all the adults uh, to come to that supper and to uh, hear the message of the gospel. 
Uh, now, according for them to do that well, they needed to do something with the kids of those parents and of those adults. And so um, they looked for help, and we raised our hand, and they said, you guys come. So we went to uh, the inner city of Chicago. Now, you have to remember that we were coming from Cocado, Minnesota. And I'll just be very honest with you, the only uh, African-American that my kids and the youth group really knew was Kirby Puckett, who played for the Twins. And, um, oh, well, Bill Cosby, too, because he was on television pretty often. So this was a, dare I say, eye-opening experience for this group of kids. Um, I told them the best thing that they could do was to keep their eyes open and their mouths shut. And so we came there, and the first thing we experienced was a, um, a black church service, which was way out of the comfort zone of those kids. But after a couple of hours, they began to get in tune with what was happening. Our responsibility the next day was to take care of these kids. We didn't know how many kids they would be. We didn't know what um, ages they would be. It would just be the kids of the adults who were coming. Well, about 100 plus of these little kids showed up in a small little room we had for them. And uh, to put it simply, we were not ready. Uh, we didn't know who was going to do what. We didn't know how we were going to do it. We were overwhelmed and controlled by a bunch of little kids. I think we, they had three or four of us pinned to the wall in one room, chasing around another group of people that were there for leadership. And by the end of the time of those two, two and a half hours that we had them, at the end of that, we were thoroughly exhausted. And the students looked at me with that look that said, never again, <laughs> never again. And I wasn't too sure either. But what I learned looking back is that we were not ready. We were not well-trained. We didn't know uh, who was going to do what. We didn't have any structure. And that's a danger for the church wherever it is today is that too often we are not ready. We don't have the right people in the right places doing the right thing. Too often we are just pretty late, uh, lackadaisical in our, in our work together. And that becomes more and more danger when you've been in a place 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. We say, well, we got it this far. Let's just uh, fly by the seat of our pants. And you'll find that that doesn't work very effectively. So when we talk about empowering leadership and effective structures, it's uh, vital to the health of the church. I want to take you to God's word and hopefully gain some encouragement today. If you have your scriptures, you have your Bible, um, open it up to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. Moses is 
leading the uh, new nation of Israel through the wilderness. They've had some good days and some bad days. They've lacked food and God provided it. They needed water and Moses struck the rock and water came forth. They had enemies that seek to do them harm along the path and God uh, defeated the enemies. You have to remember that these uh, maybe uh, hundreds of thousands of Jews walking across the wilderness were not a very organized bunch. They were just following a man by the name of Moses and weren't too sure about him. Even though God had done miraculous things, they uh, quickly got their eyes off the miraculous and moaned and complained. And Moses did his best and called upon God for help. Now in the midst of that, we come to chapter 18. Let me read. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought them out of, how brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, and after he had sent her home along with her two sons, the name of the one, name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in the foreign land. And the other's name was Eliezer, for he had, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Isn't it good that they named him Eliezer and not the God of my, and you know, read the whole thing. It would drive a kindergarten teacher crazy. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he had encamped at the mountain of God, that is, Mount Sinai. And when he, that is, Jethro, sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, of their shalom, and went into the tent. And then Moses told his father-in-law all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how Yahweh had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that Yahweh had done to Israel and in that and how he delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, lest we forget that, Moses' father-in-law brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law. 
before God. We can see in these, this first part of this chapter that God had called, if we went back and read the beginning of the story of Exodus where God calls Moses and introduces himself to Moses as the, the I am and how he sends Moses into Egypt. We can read all of that story, but it's summed up here in these first few verses that show us that God called and empowered and blessed Moses. And I believe that God has called and empowered and blessed Bethesda over the years. We read that God blessed his people. He gave them freedom from slavery in Egypt. He gave them food and water in the midst of the wilderness. He gave them victory over their enemies. And I believe that God has blessed you, Bethesda. You, he has set you free from slavery as you've entrusted your life to him. Set you free from sin and from death has brought you salvation in the person of Jesus Christ, who is your hope, your Savior, your God. He has given you food and water. He has met the needs of this church over and over and over and over and over again. He has given you uh, great pastors, great leaders, compassionate people. He has met your needs. And he also has given you victory over enemies, over those who would seek to uh, destroy what God wants to do. He's given you victory. And in the midst of it, as we see in this chapter thus far, uh, God brings glory to himself. Jethro uh, comes before him and, and announces to Moses and those within his hearing that Yahweh, the I am, is the true God. Now notice when it says at the beginning that Jethro is the priest of Midian, that does not mean he's the priest uh, who serves the, the God of the Jews. He is not a priest of Yahweh. He comes to that realization here. The gods that I've been priest for are not anything like Yahweh. He is the true God, and he offers sacrifice to Yahweh, to the I Am, to the God of um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Jews. God was going to do with the Jews something new, something that had never done before. He's never really had a people, a nation that will serve him. And we read later on that they will become um, priests, a nation of priests, bringing people to the presence of God. He was going to do something new and different and that new and different thing required well-equipped leaders and functional structure. 
We see the need for that as we continue to read, starting in verse 13. After that meal that they shared, the time of worship before God, the next day Moses sat to judge the people. Remember, there are hundreds of thousands of people. Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning till evening. From the beginning when they got up to the time they went to bed at night, they were before Moses. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what are you doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning to evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. Notice what Jethro says. He says, Moses, you won't just wear yourself out. You're going to wear the people out. Because let's face it, there is that person at the back of the line who every time they get close to the front, nighttime comes. And they don't get to talk to Moses. And they go home and go to bed, and they wake up the next morning. By the time they get to Moses, there's already a crowd there. And they do this day after day after day, and they get frustrated until they finally throw their hands up and says, what's the use? And they never get a chance to hear Moses. They never get a chance to hear God's law expounded to them. It's too heavy for you, verse 18. You are not able to do it alone. Not that you shouldn't just do it alone, but Moses, you are not able to do it alone. I don't, I don't know what the inside of Moses' head is at that point. I don't know if he's saying, hey, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. Or if he says, I am so overwhelmed, but there's nobody else doing this. I am the leader of the people, after all. I don't know what's going on, but Jethro says, now, verse 19, now obey my voice, and I will give you advice. Sounds like my father-in-law. He would say that from time to time. Randall, we need to talk. And usually he was right. There were a few times, though. But anyway, that's another story for another time. He was a good man. He let me marry his daughter, so that says something. 
right there. Now obey my voice and I will give you advice and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases before God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands and of hundreds of fifties and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace, in shalom. So Moses, as a good son-in-law, listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses has let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Moses found out the importance of equipping leaders and setting the structures in place so that the nation could move forward. For not only was it going to wear him down, it was going to wear the people down as well. If you call a new pastor and the, the possibility will be when he finally arrives, you will say in a collective breath, thank God. Somebody's here to lead this flock. And you will lead all things into his hand. You will be happy to let him judge all cases, do all things. I mean, you will pay him well. He gets paid to do those things. You will honor him, but you will also wear him out. And if you wear your shepherd out, you will wear yourself out as well. And no good will come of that. And so it's important, it's vitally important that the church today, Bethesda today, begins to empower new leaders. That's an authority set within limits. Now, let me say right off the top here that we are not talking about giving the existing leaders of the church more power. 
We are not saying that we're giving a power and investing it in a few and going to make them more and more and more powerful. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is finding the people of the church, those gifted in specific areas, skilled, talent, talented, called, and empower them, equip them for doing the ministry of the church. Letting them lead in the areas of responsibility. We've endeavored to do that over the nine, last nine months. To find people gifted and called and talented and skilled and say, would you um, handle this area? And not to the point where we just throw things on them and just walk away. Finally, we got a warm body. But to find individuals that uh, will take up the burden. And then it's our responsibility to empower them, to equip them, to give them freedom to do what they want to do. If I give you that responsibility, I'm not going to follow you around. The pastor shouldn't have to follow you around. I just entrust you to do it. That's what empowering leaders is all about. Finding the right person at the right time for the right place, rightly skilled, and set them free to do what they are gifted and called to do. And then take your hands off. Pray for them. Encourage them. Give them the materials, the training, the teaching, the support, the prayer, what's needed so they can do their job well. We need to empower leaders here. And with the empowering of leaders, we need to create effective structures in which those leaders can work. And notice what Moses did here. He put people over, men over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. He gave them the responsibility to go out and to, in this case, hear cases, uh, make judgments. And if it's really tough, then they would bring it to Moses. But Moses gave them a tremendous amount of freedom. But he did not just send them out willy-nilly. He said, you're in charge here, and you're in charge here, and you're in charge here. And when you can't figure out something, you get help. And when you can't figure out something, you get help. But we all worked together, and the people were able to find somebody who could listen and who could serve the need. And it was better. Not perfect, but better. You see, empowering leaders, giving them what they need, gives them freedom. Freedom to serve, to serve well. And when we have those right structures in place, it, it frees us to, to flourish. 
Now, this isn't just about the church. Some of you are saying, well, it sounds pretty academic to me. This works in your home. When you have the, when you give your kids certain tasks to do and structure in which to live, it may seem like a burden at first, but those structures, those responsibilities gives them freedom. You could go to Exodus chapter 20 and the, the rest there and even through Leviticus and you could read Deuteronomy as well and structure after structure after structure, empowered person after empowered person was put in place, not just so that God could lord it over, but so there would be freedom amongst the people. You see, until the law was given, the people really didn't know what the walls were. They didn't know what the boundaries were. And all of a sudden, God gives his law, and they go, oh, now I know what to do and what not to do. And the same thing happens in our homes. The same thing happens in the context of the church. We need to listen to the wisdom of God's word. It's, it's there for a reason, not to just give us history, but to give us help. And I think Exodus chapter 18 tells us how we can work together as a great group of people. I believe that God has great things planned for Bethesda Church. He has blessed you immensely. He has given you uh, great people, prayerful people. He has given you good leaders, leaders who care for you and love you and pray for you and work for you. He has given you a great facility that allows you to um, meet together and to serve together. A place that could be available to the community as well, to be a place where people will come. He has equipped you. He has blessed you over all of these years. And now I believe that God wants to do something new. He wants to uh, take you to a new place. Remember, the wilderness was not what God had planned for the people. He did not just want to bring them to the wilderness and say, well, I got you out of Egypt. Have a good time. No, his plan was to bring them through the wilderness into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, there was one problem, is that when God brought them to the promised land and they sent the guys in to spy out the promised land, remember the story, the 12 spies come back and 10 of them say, no way. There are giants in the land. We are toast before them. Of course, there was two who said, I think we can do this thing. And you remember the outcome of that? God says, all of those people who started in the wilderness will not, will finish in the wilderness. They will not enter the promised land, except those two that were believers, were 
trusted God to do a great thing. And I think the lesson is there for us as a church, too. There are some of us who say, nah, it's too big. It's too big. We can't do it. And there are a few faithful ones who say, God wants to do a new thing. Get in, buckle up, hold on, here we go. Let's see the land that God wants to bring us to. There are two key areas that Bethesda Church needs to focus on uh, first and foremost of these eight things that we have given you, this area of empowering leaders and building effective structures, um, I believe need to be the places of first and foremost focus. It's how God will move us forward. We need to do what Moses' father-in-law did. And not only was Moses blessed, but the people were blessed as well. In the days to come, some of you will be called to serve. Some of you will be called to serve. And all of you all of you will be called to pray and to encourage one another. All of you. So if you are called on to serve and will be equipped to serve, your responsibility is to say, I will pray about it and I will let you know in three days. I mean, Jesus did the resurrection in three days. You can at least let the church know that you're willing to serve in three days. And then move forward. And the church's responsibility, the existing leadership's responsibility, will to be to encourage you and train you and equip you and bless you and send you out. And Bethesda will be a church ready to go where God calls it to go in the days ahead. And you will bless the socks off your new pastor. I can guarantee it. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda. M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.